Okay, we are in a series uh, called Solitude. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Yeah, we're all kind of partial to a bit of solitude, hanging out on our own or not. Maybe it's on our own with a phone or an iPad or something like that. But there's this sense of solitude. It's a bit of a peculiar concept. It's a bit of a strange one. And uh, we've been walking through just in three weeks. This is the third just an exploration of it and why did Jesus do it and why did he model it for us and is there any benefit to it? And I could sit on top of a pole, you know, like some sort of monk, ascetic monk up on a pole and get food passed up to me and just kind of focus and try and empty myself. It's not that. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't just go away into solitude on his own to be away from everybody because everybody wound him up and it was just annoying and he was utterly frustrated. It's not that either. It's actually solitude for encounter. It's coming away to be with. And that's what Jesus modelled to us. There's a beautiful refrain in a peculiar book in the Bible that is this, come away with me, my love. And there's been a lot of debate as to whether or not we should even have that book in the Bible because it's the Song of Solomon. It's a love poem. It's an erotic love poem. And it talks about physical, emotional, intellectual, relational intimacy between the beloved and the lover. And people get a little bit twitchy because we go, oh, well, we don't really talk about sex in church. That's a bit awkward. We don't really go there. But actually, it's right slap bang in the middle of our Bible. There it is, Song of Solomon. And you can't get away from it. And it creates for us this beautiful picture of the lover of the beloved calling, come away with me from all this other stuff, all the distractions, all the craziness of life, all the noise of other people's opinions and and ideas, all the busyness of what you've got to deal with and come away with me to a place of intimacy, to a place of joy. It's a tale of two lovers. It's a story of shared affection, mutual delight, life, hope, and celebration. And God inserts this story into the scriptures so that we get a glimpse of his heart for us, of his desire and passion for us. Because our belief as followers of Jesus, as believers in the Father in heaven, as ones who've been encountered and met by Holy Spirit. We believe that what God does in his creation that's good is an expression of his heart for us in relationship. And so we take the picture of physical intimacy within marriage and we go, that is a beautiful thing. God, what are you talking to us about? And what we find in this Song of Solomon is this place of intimacy, of acceptance, of vulnerability, that is utterly fulfilling and joy-filled and celebratory. And it's like, oh my, that's a beautiful picture. And so often as a church, as Christianity, we get robbed of that. Because we talk a lot about what fire outside the fireplace looks like, what sex outside of marriage looks like and the pain that that can cause. But we don't celebrate what fire in the fireplace looks like. It's intended place. 
where it's safe and to be celebrated. And that's like, oh man, this is good. This is what God designed. But it's also a reference. What he creates in the physical, he has for us in the spiritual. And so there's this place of intimacy and engagement. I want to speak to you about what the kingdom of God could be like. A lot of what Jesus talks about is this picture of him being a king of a kingdom and that kingdom coming. And he says to people, do you know what? When, when they get a little glimpse of it, he says, the kingdom of God is close to you. You're in reaching distance. Now take hold of it, grab it with both hands, take hold of it because it's right there. And I think for some of us this morning, there's this opportunity, it's right there and we, we're kind of tantalisingly looking at it going, oh, that's interesting. That, that, that feels like it resonates with my soul. Huh. Is it really true? Is it really true? And Jesus creates these pictures. He, he talks about finding out that there's this treasure in a field and you go and you sell your car and your house and you sell all your possessions to buy that field because you know in it is the most valuable thing. It's the thing that life's all about. It's the purpose of everything and it's the best thing you could ever have. But there's a risk, right? Because you've got to sell everything before you buy it. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And so Jesus plays this, this out in front of us. And he says, do you know what? If you taste and see that I'm good, you'll find out I'm really good. I'm really good. And Neve and Siobhan have spoken of that today, of what this relationship with Jesus is like, where he breaks into the darkness and he brings light and he changes us. And we're suddenly doing things that we weren't able to do previously. And we're just like, what, what are you doing with me? And sometimes he does it without us knowing. And other times he does it in a moment. And we're like, oh man, I just know that you've changed something. I was at a conference in Bedford a number of years ago. And I was just struggling in life. And I was like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I feel like I'm in a pit. I feel like I'm broken. I haven't got the energy. I haven't got the strength. I can't do church out of my own strength. I can't live the life you've called me to. It feels impossible and I can't get over this. And I'm stuck and I'm just there. And I just said to him, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. It's all yours. And in that moment, I just felt a finger of God just touch me on the chest. I collapsed to the floor. It was like the world's flipped upside down, but I stayed stood up. And I knew that what I was wrestling with was gone. It was gone. It was gone. Because he came and he touched and he set me free. And that's like, okay, well, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? It's the joy-filled experience that so many of us have got it's a testimony of encounter with Jesus where he just comes and changes our world. And he turns it upside down. And we're like, you really are the son of God. You really are alive. You really did die on that cross and rise again. You really did appear to all the disciples as the historic records tell us. You really did lead them to change the world. Wow. And you get, you're calling me. That's That's nuts. <laughs> That's crazy. But it's true. And so we have this goodness of the king. I just want to read to you what this kingdom realm feels like. 
And that as we, as we explore Jesus in the Gospels, as we explore the narrative throughout the Old Testament into the new of the story of God and humanity and how he loves us and how it's not about him coming to punish us and put a rod over our back and smack us over the head because we've done stuff wrong, but it's a rescue story. It's a rescue story of intimacy with the Father that then gets broken by our choosing to go our own way and then a recovery of that through Jesus so that we can be intimate with the Father again and we can know God again, be back in our original designed position of relationship with God. And It's like, yeah, that's good. Let me read to you what this kingdom realm looks like. It's a realm where King Jesus has power over all sickness, death, hopelessness, poverty, despair, misfortune, mistakes and failures. Within Jesus' realm, life prospers continually. It keeps growing. It has no limits or restrictions. His realm is inclusive, touching people of all ages, backgrounds and nationalities. In his realm, there is no hurt, pain, damage or brokenness that cannot be healed. This realm restores what's been lost or stolen. Jesus' realm is synonymous with the miraculous where nothing is impossible. And you think, okay, well, that's interesting. (laughs) Am I seeing the fullness of that in the church right now? Is the nation seeing the fullness of that in the church right now? Do you know what Jesus says? No, it's not. It's not seeing the fullness right now. But I'm coming. I'm coming and my spirit's moving and my church is waking up to the reality that it must be established in me and it's in that secret place. It's in a secret place where my children know they're loved, where they absolutely know who I am, where they understand the love of the Father, where they get filled with my spirit, where my word speaks to them in truth where they hear me through the Spirit and they're at ease with knowing me in the world. And when my children are at ease knowing me in the world, then I make manifest my kingdom through them and the world gets to taste and see that I am good. And so Jesus models for us solitude, coming away to a secret place, to a quiet place on our own, to be with God, for the purpose of encounter, so that we get transformed by that intimacy and that encounter with the Father. And in that place comes security and strength and hope and peace and joy. He never designed us to give our lives to him, to celebrate baptism, and then attempt the rest of the journey on our own. He always designed the coming up into new life out of the waters to be a starting point of a journey of intimacy and relationship with him every single day because he's got you and that's what he paid the price for, intimacy. He paid the price for intimacy. He doesn't want you to just tick a box, come here on a Sunday, go to community group on a Tuesday and go, yeah, he wants you to know him. He really wants you to know him. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling, come away with me, my fair 
one. He calls us to be with him above everything else. And it is the joy of our lives to be loved by him and to know him. In Mark 6.31, Jesus is doing a whole load of crazy stuff with the disciples. He's just taken a small bit of food and he's fed thousands of people and they've got baskets load left over. And it's fascinating. I was reading a testimony of this in, um, there was a, a celebratory event in North America with the Native American Indians and quite a lot of those guys are in the church and uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And they had a festival and they got salmon and they got other bits and pieces and way more people turned up than they should have had. Way more people. This is about 15 years ago. Way more people. And so they just prayed and the salmon just kept on coming. They just prayed. There was just more and more food and there was stuff left over. It's not like Jesus did it then but doesn't do it now. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. And there are stories across Mozambique and Malawi. There are stories in Central and South America. There are stories in Africa or elsewhere of Jesus providing where there was no other way. And it's like, yes, come and do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. Open our eyes so that we understand that you're alive, you're real, and that you're doing it again. And Jesus is doing this ministry with these guys, and they're just tired. They're just like, man, we're done. We've, we, we've got all these baskets of food left over. We've got these thousands of people that we've been running about with, trying to feed, trying to do this, that, and the other. And he just says to them, come on. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Let's just rest. He knows where you're at. He knows what you need. He's not oblivious to it. He knows you need rest. He knows that you need that. If you're in a manic season, you're busy, you've got young kids, you've got family, you've got all sorts of challenges going on, he knows exactly what you need. I think he's just speaking, he's saying, just come away with me. Just rest. Don't come away with me and perform. Don't come away with me and try and be something. Just come away with me. And if that means just lying on the sofa and sleeping in the presence of my spirit, then do that. That's okay. But just be with me. Come away and rest a while. And I want to just break it down. You can't have a good sermon without an acronym, right? So I just want to break it down. Rest, R-E-S-T, refreshing, enjoyment, surrender, and trust. And I just want to explore those four things this morning as we look in our last week at solitude. Refreshing. There's this prophet in the Old Testament called Isaiah. He has a lot of narrative about Israel's relationship with God. And in chapter 40, 28, to 31 he says this have you never heard have you never understood the lord is the everlasting god the creator of all the earth he never grows weak or weary no one can measure the depth of his understanding he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless even youths young people will become weak and tired young men will fall in exhaustion but those who trust in the lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not 
faint. Jesus said to uh, his disciples in Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Imagine a couple of oxen walking alongside each other and you put the yoke of the oxen on your shoulder. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. There's this ancient methodology of teaching a new, a new animal how to be under a yoke and walk in a field, right? And so you put it alongside an animal you've been journeying with, using for ploughing for a long time. And the older animal knows exactly how it goes. And so he's able to lead and guide the younger animal. And the younger animal learns by being attached on the same yoke to the older one. And it learns not to pull too hard too soon, not to go at it like hammer and tongs, because we've got to get the field done. I'm young, I've got energy, come on. And then collapse, exhausted at the end. And Jesus is using this picture. He's saying, look, I want you to get, get yoked with me. Allow me to walk alongside you. Because actually, I'll carry the load of it. I'll carry the weight of it. You'll barely feel it because it's really light. And I'll take all the junk, all the burdens, all the difficulties and challenges you've got, and I'll put them on my shoulders. I'll carry those for you. But I just want you to feel the nudge and the direction of this soft and gentle touch on your shoulders as I walk with you. And I'll show you the way to go. I'll show you the path of life. And we'll walk in it together. Jesus is gentle at heart and humble. And he finds rest in him. We find rest in him for our souls. I want to read to you an encounter in narrative form of John 4.14. This is a story of a, a lady who is in a part of the, uh, the promised land, a part of Israel, Judea, called Samaria. And the Samaritans don't really talk with the Jews, right? That's the context. They don't really have a conversation. They're not gotten on well. And um, Jesus is at a well, and there's this lady from a Samaritan village who comes to the well at midday to collect water. And there's a reason why she's not coming with everybody else, because there's some real difficulties in relationship with others. I'll read. Miracles happen on ordinary days. The Samaritan woman left her house to fetch water from the well in a morning that started like any other. She'd been cast out, overlooked, forgotten, passed over. She was not a respectable church member or a pillar of society. I wonder if as she walked to the well, she rummaged through the tangle of her own broken life. Maybe she was trying to figure out how the tangle started. Maybe she tried very hard, but things just kept on breaking. And all she had now was cracked and dry. She'd cried herself out. Hers was a parched life in desperate need of water. Now she's at the well. A man sits quietly there. Unlike any man she'd met before, this man's name is Jesus, son of the living God. He asks her for a drink. She feels ashamed and inadequate. But he sees beyond her inability. He sees right into her soul, into the breaking and the dryness. Jesus stops to really notice her. He's committed just to her. He talks gently about her life, but he sees her from a different point of view. This man, Jesus, speaks to her 
in a kinder voice than shame. His voice is all love. Already the water is flowing over her parched and dry life. She has nothing to offer, but she is loved. She's no longer inadequate, not unprepared or unable, just loved. The bubbling, living grace water pours out over her from Jesus, out over her cried-out dryness. It washes over her shame and the years of stubborn dirt and stained memories. Now all she feels is different, clean, made whole. Even more than that, she feels ready. Miracles happen on ordinary days. Just as Jesus brought dignity and eternal life to the Samaritan woman when he stopped and asked her for a drink of water from the well, he offers the same to you and me. Bubbling over life, it's his gift to us, our gift to other parched lives. Refreshing. When we come to Jesus, those of us that know him, when we come to spend those moments of the day with him, do we come with that sense of, I'm coming to be refreshed? Or do we come with a sense of obligation or a sense of, oh, I've got to do this, get it right. Or oh, actually, this week hasn't been very good. I've really struggled with stuff this week. I think I've done stuff that's displeased my father. And we come with that. But Jesus' ministry, the Gospels tell us again and again, our position when we come to him is of a people in need of his very own presence. Jesus says, you need me. You need my love. You need my refreshing. You need my perspective rather than any other. Come, drink from me, receive from me, and you will find life and life in its fullness. So when we come to him, we want to find that refreshing life. Enjoyment. Do you enjoy your times with God? Is it something that fills you with expectation? What's it going to be like this time? What's the Lord going to say to me? What's he going to show me out of his word? What's he going to speak to me by his spirit for me or for someone else? What revelation am I going to get of God today that I didn't have yesterday? What's he going to show me of his heart for me? What's he going to reveal of his kindness towards me? What comfort will I find because of I've got need? Is that, where, is that how we approach? Or do we approach because we think we have to? And it's a duty. It's fascinating what goes on in our minds. You know it well, for those of you in church, life. Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Doesn't always sink in though, does it? Psalm 16.11. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Huh. Are we asking him, church, to enjoy him? Are we asking God to enjoy him? If you go back into the Westminster Catechism, right, this long list in the church that you'll find written down in a long time ago now, questions and answers. 
Yeah, that's what catechism means. Question and then an answer. Question and then their answer. And the question is, what's the purpose of God? And the answer is to know God and enjoy him forever. Ah, there's a challenge, right? Are we enjoying God? Are we enjoying him? Paul writes to the church in Galatia, which is why the book's called the book of Galatians. And he writes there in chapter 5, and he describes one of the attributes that happens when the Holy Spirit fills our life. And he calls it a fruit. So it's like a vine, and he says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes along and it's like super grow being poured into your root system in the soil, your vine will then produce fruit. And of those fruit, one of its attributes is joy. So I ask you, how is joy getting on in your life? You don't have to engender it. You don't have to try and make it happen because we're a people who are authentic. We understand where we're at in our brokenness, in our pain, in our disability, in our ability. We understand it's honest. We're not going to make it up. But actually, we can have joy in the journey because he's with us and he's in us. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the challenge, he is with us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. His rod and staff guide me. It's like that picture of a shepherd looking after you while you're walking through hard times. The joy of the Lord is our strength. His presence and knowing him in it not having him removed from it because we go in another direction seeking to control and manage the circumstances on our own, but rather staying close to him and managing it with him. Lord, I need you here. Allowing him to pour out onto us in the midst of difficulty. Paul says this in his letter to the church in Rome. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. His power at work in us, producing hope so that we have that living water of life that Jesus promised us. Whoever comes to me and drinks will be no thirsty no more, but they will have a river of life welling up inside of them that you can't stop. But it's his power. We don't make it happen, but we place ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to do it in us. Enjoyment. Are we enjoying him, church? If not, you need to get with somebody and talk with them. Pray with them be opportunity at the end of this meeting to pray together if you wish surrender Luke 1 38 very beginning of Luke's gospel he's telling about the good news of Jesus and he's got it in there in that story the story of Mary a young woman probably around 15, 16 years of age, who's just been met by the angel Gabriel and told that she's going to have a child 
And she's like, but I've never known a man. How is that even possible? That's not possible. And yet her heart position was one of surrender. Mary responds to the angel and says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. This is not an easy proposition in a culture where being pregnant outside of marriage is shameful. And you think, Lord, you chose an interesting pathway. And there's Mary going, let it be unto me as you say. I'm just surrendered to your will, Lord. I want you to have your way in me, your way, not mine. Come and do what you want to do. And I'm just fascinated by her response, this young woman, this probably 15-year-old, 16-year-old woman says this, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. What's she about to enter into? She's about to enter into a whole lot of questioning about who she is and what she's like. Society around her is going to go, aha, look at you, pregnant before marriage. Let's heap shame on you. Let's do this, let's do that, let's do the other. Let's judge you. But what does she say? May everything you have said about me come true. What do you say about me that is true? In solitude, in silence, we get to ask the same question that Mary's posing here. What do you say about me that is true? And we allow the lover of our souls to speak to us. Comfort, strengthen, assure, mature us in knowing what he says about us and what is true. Not the narrative we've grown up with. Not what people said at school. Not what employees or employers have said. Not what family members said that was problematic and untrue. But what does he say? May everything you've said about me come true. There are things that the Lord has said about you, if you're a believer, that he wants to come true. He wants to manifest that in your life. He wants you to be assured of your salvation. And he wants you to be bold and courageous in the midst of challenges. He wants you to know that you're a son and daughter of the king. He wants you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He wants you to know that you are precious in his eyes. He wants you to know that you are his delight, that he dances over you and rejoices over you. He wants you to know that you can come into his court, into his intimacy with absolute confidence at any time. Because the perfect life of Jesus covers you. And so his perfect glory can now interact with you without any loss on your part. He wants you to know these things. If there's another voice speaking, it's not truth. And that's why we have the word of God for its truth. 
and we have the place of solitude and go, Lord, will you speak to me about what you say about me? And we allow the Holy Spirit to minister through his word into our hearts and we encounter him there, the lover of our souls. Trust. You know this one, and if you've been in church for more than a couple of years, you will know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And maybe that's a problem. Because we know it a bit too well, and we can just spiel it off, and then we go, oh yeah, that's fine, yeah, there you go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But we know it too well sometimes. (laughs) We don't actually let it sit and rest on us. In Matthew 18, 25, Jesus says this. He called a little child to him and he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, that's a tough one. The disciples had been arguing about who's the greatest. I'm better than you, you're better than me, I've got more gifting than you, you've got more gifting than me. The disciples are hilarious, you should read it, it's really quite funny. <laughs> and then when you, when you start reading it, just read it in front of a mirror. I go, oh yeah, okay. It is really quite funny. Because it's about my heart as well, right? It's the beauty of the word of God. It just cuts through all the junk and gets to the heart and the bone of the matter and just goes, <laughs> there you go, come on. But there's a loving kindness of God that does it. And it's like there's a posture that children have, right? They're wholly dependent. You take a little child, you know, not a medium-sized child, a little child, as Jesus says. Take a little one because they're a really good example. And a little one hasn't got a Scooby-Doo about anything. They really haven't. They're just totally dependent. I wander off over here, but I think my parents got me. No idea where they're going. There's some today visiting, perhaps, in this building. I'll just walk off over here. That'll be fine, right? No idea. No idea what's over there. No idea that mum or dad's even looking out for them. They're just trusting. That's a fact, right? At some point, if I get too close to the edge of the pool, whoo! Hands will come along and lift me up out of trouble. It's amazing. I don't know how it happens, but it just happens. They don't know where to go shopping. They don't know how to drive a car. They don't know how to get there. All they know is that they get moved from one position to another, and it's all great, and it's all good. And I just trust this voice. I trust that voice above any other. Absolutely hilarious moment once when we had Nathan. He was very young, and... um, he looks a little bit like me. And um, Nathan, my oldest, who's now 20, I just ran up to him and put his, you know, sort of got lifted up. And then suddenly he realised, I went, my brother, sorry. Yeah, it was my brother that he ran up to. Thank you, Jane. And he just, he just runs up to my brother and gives him a hug. And then my brother lifts him up and goes, hello. And he's a voice he didn't recognise. Look, he looked similar to me, but he didn't recognise the voice. He went, whoa, this is not what I was expecting. There's this attribute of relationship with God where we just can be in his hands like children. 
We can let go of our control issues. We can let go of our stuff that we need to try and manage in our life. We surrender into his hands and we trust him. Jesus said, you know, my, those that follow me will know my voice. And solitude is that place where we just push out all the other voices and we just go, I just want to know your voice, Lord. And then as we do that, we get to hear it more and more and more and we learn how to walk with him. It's a beautiful thing. Refreshing, enjoyment, surrender and trust. This is the journey that we're invited into when we create space with solitude. It should be fun. It should be exciting. It should be joy-filled. It should be a, a transforming scenario where we go in with our stuff. Imagine you've got a rucksack full of junk. You've got bags of rubbish that you're carrying. Like, I've got all this stuff in life. And like that woman at the well, you're able to put it all down and you just put it there and you spend time with him. And then as you close the door and you walk out, you're able to leave it all behind. But what you walk out with is his love, his compassion, his kindness, his grace. Maybe a specific word he's spoken to you out of, his, out of the scriptures. The peace. It's like, oh, man, I don't need that. I don't need to carry that. I'm going to leave it all there. Because you asked me to give it to you, Lord. And that's what I'm doing. Can we just pray? Well, Jesus, we thank you that you are active. You're living and active. You're speaking to us by your spirit today. And that we get to respond to you. We get to engage with you. And I thank you for the model that you had of the quiet place of solitude. Just getting away on our own and being with you taking your word in with us and just asking your Holy Spirit to guide us. Where, what do you want me to show me today? What do you want to show me today? But I pray that our disposition would be to come to you for refreshing, to enjoy you, to surrender our souls freely in love to you and to trust you with all our stuff. And that we would truly find in this crazy world a place of rest in your arms. And Lord, for those of us that are exploring this, it might be all new, it might be crazy weird, it might be what on earth. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that your love would draw people into your embrace and that they would be on this journey of getting to know you and thriving in it. Holy Spirit, have your amongst us today. Amen.